So Mark chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 17 through, through 33. Or chapter 8, verse 17 through 33, sorry. Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of his disciples' uh, unbelief and confusion, they were in the boat, remember last week, he said to his disciples, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Now remember that, hold on to that in your mind. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? I mean, you have eyes, but you can't, can you use them for like a second here? Having ears, do you not hear? You hear what I'm saying, but you don't hear what I'm saying. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls did we pick up? And they said, 12. And, 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 and the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you still not yet understand? And that, that question just hangs there. It's not answered. It's rhetorical. It just hangs there. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and said, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on him again and his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and, he, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he went, uh, he sent him home uh, saying, do not even enter the village that we just came from. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, you know, some people say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and, and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter back and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not seeing, setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. Lord, um, I confess that there are so much of my life, even today, I know because uh, having walked with you, I, I, there's things I don't see clearly. And I confess that, Lord. There's still things about you and your love and your character and what you're doing in this world and in this city and in this church and in people that I don't see clearly. And I, and I ask God that today that you would, you would open up my eyes. And I know that there are people here that, um, that have rejected you for whatever reason, and they're not seeing you clearly. And there's people that have accepted you and still don't see you clearly. And Lord, I pray, I ask God, are all, are all of our hearts positioned right now, in our own hearts, every single one of us would go and confess, we're blind, would you open up our eyes this morning? We're all blind, Lord. We don't claim to see better than anyone else in this building. We just say we're all blind and we ask Holy Spirit that you would open up our eyes. And we trust that you will, God. You're so good that way. 
I pray that you would satisfy the hunger of the hungry people who are just hungry for, for more of God and more of you, and they want more of you in their lives, but they just kind of have this holy dissatisfaction. It's like they want more of you, but it's like they're not getting it. And I pray for those that have um, been praying over and over and over again that you would do something. And it's like it's, you're not coming through. I ask God that you would heal our blindness to see that you're working. We love you. I pray that you would use me and anoint me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been looking through and at the story of Jesus as told by um, Mark. And the shape that Mark's story takes around Jesus has really two parts. So if you've ever read the book of Mark from beginning to end, you'll come to realize that Mark has two uh, movements in, in his story. He has two parts, two acts of the book of Mark. Act one, Part one, movement one, is, is who Jesus is, his character. And this is displayed from chapters one, the very beginning of chapter one, to chapter eight, right in the middle. We're right, we're right in the middle of it. And that's the whole, right now the, the curtain is closing on Acts one and opening on Act, two, on Act two at the same time. And that's why we have this really weird story in the middle. So the first part is who Jesus is, his character, his nature, what he does, and, and his miracle after miracles, healings, exorcisms, compassion, love, care, concern, busting through social norms, seeking the lost, and healing the broken, act one. And then act two, what Jesus has come to do, his mission. And this is from chapters eight and a half. We actually just read it. The, the second half of Mark is, and Jesus taught them that he must suffer and die. Act two. Now I'm going to start telling you about my mission. I'm going to tell you about what I really come to do. I'm telling you why I'm here. Here we see his mission, what he has come to accomplish. All that has happened in the first part of Mark was to point forward to this true mission. He has come to really heal and truly save and actually deliver from the power of hell and Satan. But how will it happen? And right in the middle of Mark's book, we have this story, a story that no other gospel writer puts in their book, a story that's unique to Mark alone, and we can't say that Mark just made it up because who would make up a story like this? Who would make up a story when they're trying to show how awesome and powerful Jesus is, walking on water, healing the demoniac, and then right in the middle, oh, and he had one little mess up. He healed somebody, but it wasn't really, he didn't really, he needed a little bit more medication, a little, he needed to see the doctor one more time. I mean, who would make a story like this up? Actually, this story teaches us something. Teaches us actually a lot about this whole book. It opens up this entire book. Because here we see for the very first time a miracle of Jesus that didn't really work at first. It didn't take. It's almost as if Jesus was unsuccessful in his first attempt. That's what it makes it sound like when you're reading this. And Jesus never asks somebody after he heals them, Did it work? He always knows it works. He actually healed someone who's like, Okay, so did it work? I'm very curious to know if that like new method, the whole spit in the eye thing worked. Like I've been trying that out on a couple people, didn't know if it took, did it work? Like, well, not really. I see people, but they look like, and that's just a classic comeback, you know? Like I see people, but they look like trees. And they're not in Middle Earth, so they're not supposed to see that, you know? Like that's not really, that's not really reality, okay? You don't really see, people aren't trees, and, they, and trees don't walk, okay? So that's not really what you're supposed to see here. And so he touches them again, and then he fully sees. Now, why was this man healed in stages? And this is kind of what we're going to wrestle with today. Why was this man healed in stages? 
when Jesus never, ever does that? Why was he healed in stages? It's like this. Stage one, he was blind. Stage two, he could kind of see. And then stage three, he has complete sight. Why stages? Or you could say it differently. He went from non-understanding to misunderstanding to clear and complete understanding. Because at the end it says he can completely see. He can see everything clearly at the end. He went from not understanding at all, not seeing at all, to misunderstanding, not really seeing, kind of seeing, but misunderstanding what he was really seeing, to complete understanding. So why was he healed in stages? And why is the story more indicative of not only the life of the disciples, especially throughout Mark's narrative, but our own lives as well? Why is this story really, class, really indicative more of our lives? If you began to follow Jesus in high school, if you began to follow Jesus just a couple weeks ago, or maybe you're still wrestling with, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to follow Christ yet. Why is this story here more indicative of our own lives and the lives of the disciples? Why does this story reveal more about us and our blindness that seems at times to be healed in stages than any other story in Mark? Well, first off, I think we learn that we're all, every single one of us, everyone in here, everyone you're related to, everyone that you know, everyone in Mark's narrative, we're all spiritually blind. Everyone is spiritually blind. One of the motifs that Mark uses in writing the story of Jesus is this motif of seeing, but not seeing as in sight, seeing as in perception, seeing as in getting it. And where we last left the disciples, we read about this uh, at the very beginning, where we last left the disciples, they're in the boat with no bread. They're in the boat with no bread, and they start arguing about who forgot the bread. No, I didn't forget the bread. No, yes, you did forget the bread. And Jesus is sitting there and, and like, oh my gosh, are you guys serious? You guys are arguing about bread, and I just made bread twice. I make bread. I'm a bread maker. And why are you arguing about bread? And he says this, do you not yet perceive or understand? Do you see, but you don't see. Do you see? Are you understanding what I am, who I am? Having eyes, do you still not see? I mean, you have eyes, but you don't see me. I mean, you see me, but you don't really see me. You see that I'm in the boat, but you don't really see what it means that I'm in your boat. You see that I'm in your life, but you don't really see what it means that I'm in your life. You see that I'm Messiah and I'm Savior, but you don't really see what it means that I'm your Messiah and your Savior. And there's a huge difference. I think there's a huge difference for us today. Yes, I see Jesus. He's my Savior. But do you really see that he's your Savior? Then why do we keep looking for other things to save us? If I just had a spouse, I would be saved. Now, no one would say that out loud, but in our little hearts we think that sometimes. If I just had this job in my life, if I just had this thing, why do we look for other things to save us if Jesus is really our Savior? So that means that we see, but we don't really see. It's like those in the 90s. I don't know how many of you guys were like walking through malls when, when you, in the 90s, but I was a teenager in the 90s, so I, there was nothing really fun to do where I grew up but go to malls and walk around. One mall, really long mall. Anyway, so we would do this, and this really big thing came out in the 90s, and, 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 and they sold them in little kiosks in the middle of the mall, those little kiosks in the middle of the mall, um, and, and there, were, there were these framed pictures, and they were like a texture, and if you looked at them, you saw a texture, but if you really looked you saw a 3D image. 
okay? These were so popular. I don't know if you remember these things. They were so huge, okay? And people had bought them for their, like, living rooms, which was really ugly art, but whatever, and, like, their kitchens and stuff. And I remember we'd go to the mall, and there'd be crowds of people around this and going, and, like, turning their head a little bit, and then one random person like, I see it. And you're like, oh, what did you see? He's like, it's a waterfall and a unicorn, and he's crying and whatever. <laughs> and it's like you're looking, and everyone sees, the gra- everyone sees the texture. Everyone sees the framed art. But you have to do some, like, weird cross-eye, look beyond it thing or something to actually see. I saw one picture, I remember, and that was it. I could never see them. And this is kind of what it is, what it's like here. Like, you see him, and he's there. They even framed him as the Messiah, but they didn't really see, they didn't have 3D into Jesus, who he really was. And they saw him, and they saw him in front of him. And all the disciples probably looked like everyone in the the mall around the kiosk, kind of going like, I don't see it, and nobody saw it. No one sees Jesus for who he is. And this is how a lot of people in Mark's narrative really saw Christ. They see him, but they don't really see him. They couldn't make sense of what they saw. And Jesus, at the end, when we read at the end of this little story, they go right into Caesarea Philippi. And then Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And they start naming off some names. And like, who do you say that I am? And it says that you are the Christ. And then finally in Mark's narrative in the middle, somebody actually gets him. You are the Christ. Yes, good. And Jesus says, and I must suffer and die. And then Peter pulls him aside and goes, listen, guy, you're the Messiah. I got your back. You're not going to die, okay? You can't die because you're like, you're amazing. I mean, we've seen you walk on water. I'm sure you can like kill people by doing like this or this or this or something. You could do something. You won't die. Peter doesn't really see Jesus yet. Mark is not afraid to point out how dense everyone is in the book, in his narrative. This is why I love Mark's gospel. Everybody's dense. Nobody gets it. Everyone's blind in Mark's story. The enemies of Jesus are blind. The Pharisees are blind. The Herodians are blind. The friends of Jesus are blind. His disciples. Even his family is blind. In John's gospel, it says that his brothers, Jesus' half-brothers didn't even believe in him at this point. Nobody sees Jesus. Everyone's blind up to this point. And what we see here is how spiritual blindness is so pervasive. It's so deep. Spiritual blindness is so deep that everyone in here, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, is at some point in some area blind. Still. And it's not our proximity to Jesus that heals our blindness. You can't be right, you could be right in front of him and still not see him. You can go to church your whole life, call yourself a disciple and still be blind. That's what this text says. You can actually, listen, you can actually be an enemy of Jesus. I know there might be people in here that have rejected the claims of Christ. They've rejected Christ as Savior and Lord. And I would say you have rejected him probably for wrong reasons because you're blind too. Everyone's blind. Christian, you're blind. Person who's rejecting Christ, you're blind as well. Everyone's spiritually blind. And even when our spiritual sight is clear enough for a moment to get a glimpse of who Jesus is and we have a relationship with Christ, our spiritual blindness is still so deep we don't see clear enough to live the way that we know we should live. 
I want you to think about that. Our, our blindness is so deep that when we do see a glimpse of who Christ is and we trust him as our Savior and our Lord and we follow him, it's still so deep that we still don't see him clear enough to obey him. We have pride in our hearts, unforgiveness towards other people, father wounds, lust issues, trust issues. We try to control everything from our future to our career path, our money, who we might marry. We hate authority and we love ourselves and we do all of this while saying we're Christians who follow Jesus. And then we're filled with this absurd anxiety like the disciples were in the boat, worried about trivial things like bread. And the whole time Jesus is right in front of us and we see him but we don't really see him. Let me give you an example of this. Um, this happens uh, quite frequently when I meet with people and I counsel with people. Um, when people come in and just want counsel or whatever, and we do a lot of this, and I've done this for a very, uh, not a very long time, but quite a while, when I sit down with people, and let's say they come in and they've committed some sin. Come in and they committed some sin. Sexual immorality, lying, cheating, getting blackout drunk, something like this. And they come in and, they, and they've sinned. And so they're seeking counsel. Okay, you have a sin problem. But here's the deal. It's not just those sins, those things that you've committed are symptoms of a greater disease. And what I want to do in counseling is I want to get and want to find that greater disease. And I want to point it out and uproot it. Now, I'm not a licensed counselor. I just love God and his word. And I love you guys. And I just want to get to the bottom of these things together. So let's get to the root. And what we often discover, not every single time, but sometimes, a lot of the time, enough to where I, this comes up a lot, what often we discover together is that at some point in their lives, they thought God owed them something. At some point in their lives, they were trying to manipulate God. At some point, some juncture in their lives, they discover that, well, I've been good for this long. I've done this and this and this for God. I deserve this. Or, I've done this and this and given up this for God, and he hasn't come through on his end of the bargain. Now, they're not that angry normally. It's more like, oh my gosh. They're like, yeah, I, I, I didn't have sex in college, and I graduated from college, and I still don't have a, a rocking spouse, and I'm kind of mad at God. And because of that, I just kind of just did this thing. I didn't, I, I, I've saved myself, or I've, I, I, I've, I've done this, or I've given up this for God, and he hasn't come through on his end of the bargain. He's supposed to bless my life, and he hasn't. And I'm bitter, I'm angry. Even deeper than that, and this happens as well, people sit there and they say, well, God made me this way. And these temptations, these vices, these are not my fault. I didn't want this. I asked God to take it away all the time, and he hasn't. So you know what? Whatever. And then I'm painting, I'm, I'm painting this pretty broadly. Now, do you know what this is? This isn't, you know, I like alcohol or I like sex problem. This is a, you don't, the disease there is you don't see God clearly. That's the disease. There's something very fuzzy about the way you see the grace of God and the love of God, and the mercy of God, and the gospel of God. Basically, you're not seeing Jesus clearly. I mean, you're seeing, you've, you've seen, that's why you're sitting there with us. You're like, I, I, you know, I don't want to do these things. 
You're there, you see, but you don't really see. So when we sit down, I, I, I normally say something like this. You're using God as a means to your own end. It's not God you really want as number one, it's happiness you want as number one, or a spouse you want as number one, or money, or freedom. And you've heard that the God of the Bible might do these sort of things for you, but when he doesn't come through the way you wanted him to in your timetable, you get mad, or bitter, or resentful, and you start to take control of your own life, because it's really hard to trust God with your life, because you don't know what he'll do with it. And then I might even quote C.S. Lewis to them because I like him. At the end of the book of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, if you look for yourself, meaning if you look for happiness yourself or life or joy in your own way by yourself, you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ and you will find him. That's the object you will find Christ, and with him, everything else thrown in. The thing is that we need to see Christ more clearly. We have a seeing problem, a perception problem. Now, why is, and I understand, this is why we sit down. This is why we, we don't just go, you know, like we're one and done. We're like, you know, I went to church back in, you know, 99, and I had a really good experience, and I'm good for the rest of my life, right? I read the Bible one time, I'm good. I had one counts appointment, I'm done. I went to small groups once, right? I'm healed. This is why it's a process. We don't completely, clearly see. And so we continue to need our eyes to be clear, our hearts to be open. Seeing clearly is a process. Spiritual blindness, blindness is, is not healed in a snap, where we see everything clearly, we see God clearly, life Bible, relationships, church, it's all, we see it all clearly now. That doesn't happen that way. It's a process. It's a process that takes time, reading, studying, meditating on the nature and the worth and the goodness of God. When I look back four years ago, I was super blind four years ago to a lot of things. Can you look back like five years ago and go, how blind were you then? To life in general and now to God. And you're like, what, I see everything clearly now. Oh, yeah? And five years from now, you'll look back to right now and think you're an idiot. And that's the truth, because we are all in this process of discovering more and more and more of God. Seeing clearly is a process. We might see, we might believe that he has saved us, and, we, and he has, and we are still at the same time like this blind, blind man in between healings. We misunderstand what we do even see. And Jesus takes this man who has eyes but can't see, okay? Like the, like, the, like the disciples in the boat, Jesus says, do you have eyes but not see? This man has eyes but he doesn't see, this blind man. He leads him to outside the village, he spits in his eyes, he touches him and he opens his eyes and he says, do you see? And this man says, I see people like walking trees. I see people but they're like walking around trees. Now, think about this guy for a second. Think about this blind man. When, when God touches him, when Jesus touches his eyes, you can't say he's blind anymore. Because he's not blind, right? Because he can see. But you can't say he can see either. Because he can't make out what he sees. Some of you guys might not have that good of vision. And you take off your glasses and you can't see. But you're not blind. 
You can't see clearly. And this is exactly where this man was. He's at the same time blind, but he's not blind. That's where this man was. Now, in the book of Mark, this small healing miracle is actually the turning point in Mark's whole gospel. Because right before the disciples are, right before this, the disciples are completely blind. Jesus is right in front of them, and they're like, we forgot bread, Jesus. He's like, I can make bread. They're like, we don't know what you're saying. Like, I, I have you. I'm, I'm here in the boat. They're like, Peter's fault. Sorry. Like, he's like, no, you, you guys are blind. You don't see a thing, okay? And then this story is right here, right, right in, this, in this very um, strategic place. And the disciples then are in the boat, and they get out of the boat, and no answer is given. Do you not understand? No answer is given. And then Mark plays this odd little healing episode right here, right before the conversation at Caesarea Philippi. Why does he do this? In order to signal that the disciples are about to undergo the process of healing their vision, God, Jesus is going to heal their vision. Jesus will spit into their eyes at Caesarea Philippi, and they will be healed, but they will be healed gradually, not all at once. Because at Caesarea Philippi, they begin to see, but they don't fully see. Jesus asks them what people are saying about me. Hey, what are people saying about me? And they're like, well, I, we read a blog today that said that, you know, you're like Elijah, and we read the news, and the news said that you're John the Baptist, and I read it the other day that people were saying that you're Moses, like one of the major prophets, like Moses. And then Jesus says this, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And this is what this question means. Everything you've witnessed, everything you've experienced and have seen with your eyes heard with your ears, all that, was, all that was so that you would come to the conclusion of who, am, who I am. And he asked them, who am I? And Peter, the representative, says, you are the Christ. Oh my gosh, they got it, right? You're reading the book of Mark, and if you've read it for the very first time, you probably look at this and like, oh my gosh, they got it. They got it, they understand it, they see it. I mean, high fives, kisses, God's throwing like ticker tape from heaven. Like this whole party happens in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. They actually get it. But that's not what happens. Jesus, you would think Jesus would be like, oh my gosh, kiss, kiss, hug. You guys are awesome. You guys are okay. Go tell everybody. I'm out. You know, whatever. He doesn't do that. He's like, okay, don't tell anybody. They're like, wait, that's really odd. Like we finally get it, Jesus, and you're saying not to tell anybody? They don't see clearly. They see, but they see Jesus like trees walking. Here's the proof. Jesus goes, okay, I am the Christ. And the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and be killed as the Christ. And Peter's like, the heck you are. You can't be killed. You're the Messiah. Remember, I just said that a couple seconds ago. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to look at that a little bit more next week. Get behind me. See, they see, but they don't clearly really see. They see, but they don't really see clearly what it means that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and it takes the rest of the book for them to get it. And so the book of Mark is broke up like this. The very beginning of Mark, Jesus is showing everybody who he is, but everybody's blind. And then Jesus heals a blind man through two stages of healing. And the disciples see, but they see like, fuzzy and like trees, and they reject him, and, and they try to jogging for position. They still don't get it throughout the whole rest of the book. At the very end of the book, they see clearly. They see who Jesus is. Now, a couple practical points about this blind man in Jesus that I really want to pull out here. 
I think are, are, are very good for us to stop and to think about. First of all, this man was brought to Jesus and was made to see in the context of community. Look at verse 22. It says that when they came to Bethsaida, some people brought to Jesus a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. So these, these friends, this crowd, grabs their blind friend, drag him to Jesus, throw him in front of Jesus, and like, Jesus, please, please, we beg you, heal our friend. He's been blind for a, either his whole life or a very long time, because he can kind of recognize trees, so he probably wasn't blind his whole life. Please heal him. Now, could the blind man have found Jesus by himself? Probably not, maybe, but probably not. I mean, he's blind. And it took a community of people who knew this man, who knew his story, who knew his blindness to petition Jesus, find Jesus and place this man into Jesus' hands. Now, the implications and the application is pretty obvious. If you're in a small group in this church or somewhere in this city, can I please encourage you to begin to let people into your blindness? Listen, if you're meeting in a small group, please start to let people into your blindness. I mean, we're all blind. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. Confess that. Let people pray for you. Let other people lead you to Jesus. Get around people who have a little bit more spiritual sight than you have that can lead you to Jesus. It's very important that you do this. Even if you're a small group leader, it's important for you to let people in in your small groups into your life, into the areas of your life that you're blind in the areas of your life that you're struggling, in the areas of your life that you don't see God clearly. Say, could you please, people that see clearly than me, lead me to Jesus. And please, if you're in a small group and you're that guy that's like, you know, like that knows everything, please confess your blindness as well. Because everyone's blind somewhere. And it took this community of people. Now, if you're not in a small group, obviously get in one. Go to one. Be in a community of people who know you. I know it's the hard, I know it's, it's, a, it's a pretty simple thing to actually drive over to a small group and show up for a group, sit through a thing, everyone discuss uh, something and leave. But it's very hard to open up your life, to go, this is how I need prayer. This is what I'm not seeing clearly. Here's my life. So that group can bring you before Jesus throughout the week. That group can be there. And when you're like, you don't show up for a couple weeks and you're off doing whatever, they can grab you and throw you in, into the arms of Christ. Next, I want you to see that this guy was healed. The way he was healed was in humility. It must have been a great temptation for this man to shout. The second light came into his pupils and began to move in and out to focus, it was probably a great temptation for him to go, I can see, I can see, and then run away, tell everybody that he can see. I mean, can you imagine being completely blind and then just light penetrating your eyes and you actually see something? You wouldn't care if they were fuzzy. Like, I could see and you would just leave and run like, oh my gosh, I can see you. I mean, you're a lot more leafy than I remember you, but I can see you. Your, your hair is just big now, but you're, I can, I can see. It, would have been, it must have been a great temptation for him to go, I can see I'm good. I can see. Thank you very much. I now, I, I, it's not complete, but you know what? I can see. It took great humility to go, you know what, I see, but I don't completely see. This man, in a sense, could see, but his sight was incomplete and imperfect. I think a lot of us, to confess our blindness, 
confess that we see, but we don't see absolutely clearly, takes great humility. To confess that to God takes great humility. Like, God, I, I see, but I don't really completely see here. Confess that to people in our lives. But finally, another practical point is his honesty. This guy was just honest. This is why I love that the Bible illustrates our spiritual blindness with the healing of this physically blind man. It's because like every blind man, they realize they can't fix themselves because they can't see. They can't see the problem. They don't know if it's their retina or their cornea. They don't know if, it's their, if they have cataracts or glaucoma. They can't see. There were not a lot of things this man could see, but what he did see was that he couldn't fix himself and he needed Jesus. And I think it's our self-sufficiency that keeps us from being honest and admitting that we don't really see. Then it's our pride that keeps us from asking God again and again, God, I need you. I need more of you. I'm still a little blind. See, we get one touch and think, well, okay, I'm supposed to handle it from here. God has touched me, opened my eyes. I see him. I'll handle it from here, God. That's not the way it works. This man was honest with Jesus. And it's actually very, it's a little scary I mean, can you imagine saying to the Savior of the world, the greatest healer who's ever walked this planet, uh, I don't think your touch really worked. I mean, can you imagine saying that? I, I would be too embarrassed probably to say that. If Jesus healed me, I'm like, I could see. Yeah, can you see? Yeah, I, I can see fine. Like, how many fingers am I holding up? Uh, plenty of fingers. <laughs> and I'm good now, thank you. I'd be really like, Jesus, you're good, but you're not that good. I would, I would be really, really, really hard-pressed to do that. But this man was honest. He's like, you know what? I don't, and you might take this as an insult, but I, I don't really see all the way yet. I mean, touch worked, but it didn't really work yet. What saved this man was his absolute honesty, honesty before Jesus. I don't see clearly, and I know I should. He doesn't say, well, it must be me. My blind, blindness must have been so bad that you couldn't even heal it all the way. I must have such a jacked up past. I must have such a messed up life that you, it takes, you can't really do it in one shot, and it's my fault, and I'll go now. Thank you. Bye. He doesn't do that either. He tells Jesus honestly, honestly, I still can't see right, and that's okay. Jesus doesn't judge him for it. Without a word, he places his hands back on the man's eyes again, and the man can completely see. Now listen to this, please. It's okay to be dissatisfied with your level of spiritual insight. It's okay to go, you know what? I love, I love Jesus. I love being, I love the, uh, what he does in my, in, my, in my spiritual life and how he's changed me. But you know what? I, I want more. I, I need to see things a little bit more clearly. I don't see everything perfectly. And I, need, and I want to see things more clearly. It's okay to say that. There's something called holy dissatisfaction, and I believe it's a good thing, where you want more, more spiritual sight. You want more. Now, how does Jesus heal us? How does he fix our sight? How does Jesus, and what does Jesus do to fix us? The people in Mark's narrative who know Jesus only as the worker of wonders do not understand him at all. This is why Jesus has told everybody in this point up in Mark's gospel, don't say anything. 
hey, you saw me heal that man? Don't say a thing. You saw me raise her from the dead? Don't say a thing. You saw me cast out that demon? Nobody say anything. Because if you think that God or, and Jesus is simply a worker of wonders, you've misunderstood him. Because that's not the real way Jesus heals our blindness. That's not really who Jesus is. It's not the way Jesus heals us. It's not the real way Jesus saves us. How does he do it then? He does it through substitution. The subtext in almost every single miracle of Mark is that Jesus trades places with them. Like the healing of the demoniac in the tombs. This man lived in the tombs. He was possessed and oppressed by demons. He was shackled and chains were hanging off of him. And when Jesus came in to heal him, he healed him. But the only way he really healed this demoniac was that Jesus was chained and he was whipped and he was tortured and he was driven into his own tomb, into his own death for us. The way that Jesus ultimately healed our blindness was that he plunged into our darkness. The only way Jesus calmed the storm was he was driven into our storm. The only way that Jesus healed the man who was deaf and could not speak, he became, as Isaiah 53 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus became mute for us. That's the way he healed the mute man. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. This is why Jesus says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Christ. You know why? Because you don't know what that means yet. You think that means I'm going to politically rule. I'm going to politically reign. You think that means I'm going to go around and then do all these miraculous signs and wonders. You think that means that. You know what it really means? It means I'm going to take your place on the cross. That I'm going to die your death. That I'm going to live your life. That you can have hope in me and believe in me and I can really cure your blindness. I can really open your ears. I can really save you from hell. I can really do those things. So you can't tell a soul. And at the end of the book of Mark, they finally see him. They see him clearly as the crucified Messiah. And from this point to the very end of the book, that's where Jesus is going. To the cross for us, for our sin, our payment, that we can see God clearly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that you open up the eyes of the blind. It's not me. It's not, it's not music or preaching. We, we confess that, God. It's, it's you do that by the power of your spirit. And I just ask, God, um, that you would, people in our own hearts, God, in our own lives, Lord, where there's areas that we're just so prideful, I pray that we would confess that to you right now. Areas that we like, oh, my gosh, I, I so have this figured out, that we would say, Lord, we need your help. It's really the blind that see. And the people that think they see, they're blind. So I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves, that we would confess, and that, God, if we're, if we're dissatisfied, we want more of you, Lord, we would just be honest with you and say, Lord, I, I would like to see you more clearly.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.